0: The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. The book of Colossians, chapter number 2, for our text reading here this morning. Colossians, chapter number 2, for our text reading today. Well, this is the last sermon in our series that we've entitled, Help! I need to change and for the last couple of months we have been looking at the doctrine of sanctification or what we might refer to as the process by which we are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and so uh, we're looking forward to wrapping this up here today in Colossians chapter number 2 and uh, verse number 6 is where we'll be in just a moment. Colossians chapter number 2 and verse number 6. My prayer for this particular service here today is that we would take everything that we've talked about over the last six weeks and kind of put it in a nutshell. I realize we've been wrestling through some really deep theological concepts, and in many ways, if we're not careful, it can all be kind of ethereal, that it can be kind of vague and there's no real practical, functional expression of much of this which we've been talking about, and so today I'm hoping to kind of put the cookies on the bottom shelf a little bit and really help us to get a pattern by which we can functionally see our lives transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Kind of as a side note, a a couple of weeks ago, and I should say really now for months, my kids have been begging my wife uh, to get a bunny. And I don't know why they want a bunny, but literally, they have just been asking my wife for a bunny and they've been wanting one. Uh, They've been going down uh, to the kind of the market there where they sell all the organic kind of fruits and vegetables, and I guess there's someone down there who sells bunnies, and so as they go down there uh, to the market, they've just been begging my wife to get one of these things, and so... Oh, about a month ago or so my wife kind of bent in and she bought them uh, just the cutest little white little bunny you've ever seen in your life. Just this little bundle of just this just gorgeous little thing running around here and there. And they, they were having a good time with it. And It's, it, it's extremely sad and uh, I, was, I didn't even know exactly how to maybe bring it up, but they were playing with that little bunny the first day and it was running around the yard, hopping here and hopping there. Uh, When all of a sudden from inside we hear these blood-curdling screams and we're like, what in the world is going on? And we run outside and there is this falcon about the size of a pterodactyl that has swooped down and is pouncing on top of my children's little bunny. And my kids are just like going hysterical. Literally, by the time we get out there, this falcon was literally flying away with our bunny in its talons, you know. And my kids are just crying. I mean, they just can't believe what's going on. And uh, this, I'm just thinking, this is absolutely crazy, you know. Here, a circle of life right before their eyes, you know. <laughs> and uh, just like, what in the world? And, and sure enough, that thing, it, 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 it destroyed that little bunny. And uh, we have not seen the likes of it since. Of course, my children, devastated, uh, wanted another one. And so, the next day, we got them another bunny. And this time around, uh, we've been a little bit more proactive about how we protect the little bunny. Uh, It would be... uh, little strange of us to go about trying to take care of it in the same manner we took care of the first one. And so the kids are very careful to make sure that it stays in its cage when it's outside by itself. It's covered and there's no way for this hawk or falcon or whatever it was to come down and uh, get the bunnies there. And I was kind of thinking about that. I, I think if we were to be transparent one with another, we've all had seasons in our lives where the enemies come in to attack. And we would be remiss to think that we can go on with life as normal, doing things the way we've always done them before, and somehow assume that everything is just going to be peachy keen. The, The reality is this, when there are seasons in our lives and we're attempting to grow and we're attempting to go forward... The enemy is going to come in and is going to attack. And and just like my kids had to start protecting and being a little bit more careful with their bunny the second time around, the reality is, as we're growing in our Christian faith, as we're maturing in our Christian life, we want to make sure that we're not just going through life as usual, business as normal. We need to experience God's grace, His strength to move us into something greater, move us into something better. One person defined insanity this way. Insanity can be defined as doing the same thing over and over and over again, and yet expecting different results. And have you been there before? Have have you ever been at a time in your life where you wanted something different, but when you really looked at it, you realized you were doing the same things that you've always been doing? And, And so that's why kind of our theme for this particular series, and we've said it many times over the last few weeks, we've been making this statement, we must change the way... We change. We must change the way we change. If you have your service program that you should have received on your way in, there's a little outline that you can use to follow along through the Bible study. I hope it'll be a help to you as we study the Word of God together this morning. If you are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand out of respect here for the Word of God as we read from Colossians chapter number 2 and verse number 6. For our text reading here today, Colossians chapter number two, verse number six. Kind of our theme text for this series, and has really laid the foundation for how authentic biblical transformation, change, and growth actually occurs. The Bible says in the book of Colossians this is the Apostle Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's writing to the church at Colossae. He's trying to help them understand how maturity and how spiritual progress is made in the Christian life. And, and so in Colossians chapter number two, verse six, he says this, as ye, or so he's talking to the church at Colossae, you Christians, as you therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. I want you to notice this. We'll pause here for a moment. How did we receive Christ Jesus the Lord. That, that's probably the first question. We spent some time looking at this several weeks ago. Uh, according to Ephesians chapter number 2 and many other passages, we find that salvation is by grace through faith. So, as ye therefore receive Jesus Christ the Lord by grace through faith, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us, so walk ye in them in him. I'm sorry. So what the Apostle Paul is helping us understand here is the same way we got saved is the same way we mature spiritually. The same way we were regenerated is the same way we're going to move forward in the faith. And so today we're really going to put this idea in a nutshell. And and I hope that each and every one of us will walk out with a very crystal-clear understanding of how spiritual maturity, how sanctification fleshes itself out in the life of the believer. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into our study. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we love you. And Lord, we're so thankful that you did not just save us, but you also are the one who sanctifies us. You're not just the author of our faith. Lord, you're the finisher of our faith as well. Lord, you did not just start this thing. Lord, you completed it. And I pray that we would be the type of believers who fully understand that the process by which we were saved is also the process by which we are sanctified and and matured spiritually into the image of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help me to say those words you would want me to say. Help me not to say those things you would have not me say. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen, and you may be seated. I think we're going to throw this on the screen as kind of our theme message here for today, and that is this. Since salvation is by grace through faith, based on Colossians chapter number 2, verse 6, spiritual maturity then is also by grace through faith. There are people who tend to believe and there are churches you can go to and preachers that you can listen to and basically they espouse a theology that's something like this. Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven And it's only in Jesus Christ That we can be regenerated From the inside out And so it's only by grace, through faith That we're justified, that we're declared Righteous before God And and that happens as we put our faith And trust in Jesus Christ And experience His grace However, there are preachers who would preach that And there are churches that would teach that And there are Christians that would believe that And yet they would kind of Lean into a you <laughs> functional, works-based sanctification. So I realized I'm saved by grace through faith, but then my sanctification and my spiritual maturity has to be kind of worked up. I, I've got to have a lot of character and I have to have a lot of discipline and I've got to dot my I's and I've got to cross my T's and I've got to walk the walk and I've got to talk the talk because after all, that's what good Christians are supposed to do. And so we are saved by His work and we are sanctified by our work. And that is a very common theology in the world in which we live in today. The problem with that theology is it is not a biblical theology. I want you to understand that it is the same grace And the same process by faith that secured us salvation is also the same process by which we spiritually mature day in and day out. You say, how do I grow in my marriage? By grace, through faith. How do I grow in my parenting? By grace, through faith. How do I grow as a Christian? By grace, through faith. You say, how do I do better in character and how do I get more of a work ethic? By grace through faith. How do I kick this addiction? How do I overcome this bad habit? By grace true faith. It is not a work of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to His mercy He saves us. But the same process by which we are saved is the same process by which we are sanctified and spiritually matured. My friend, to get these two things separated is to head down a a path of theology that leads here to legalism, that leads to self-righteousness, That leads to arrogance in the Christian life. It leads to an entitlement mentality. Look what I've done for God. Now he owes me. It leads down a very unhealthy and destructive path when we begin to see salvation being from God and sanctification being our responsibility. So we see since salvation is by grace through faith, We understand from this passage and many others that spiritual maturity is also by grace through faith. So, I'm going to take the last six weeks, and we're going to really just kind of put them in a nutshell. And I want to give you four action items, if I can. Take all these deep theological concepts that we've been wrestling with over the last month and a half. We've put a lot of meat on them, and I'm just going to give them to you, once again... I'm going to give them to you in the context of one another, all right? All these things we've been talking about, I'm going to do my very best today to put all the pieces together and help you to see how all this stuff we've been talking about fits neatly together in the process of sanctification, which leads us here to our first thought. If we're going to change the way we change, we can no longer look at change as just something I can do in my own strength. We can no longer look at change as something that I can do in my own ability. Change is just not something I will power my way into. It's not something I just discipline my way into. You see, you can change the exterior. You can change surface behavior. But only God in his infinite grace can change the inner parts of your heart. Only he can change your values. In the heart. Only he can change the motives of the heart. Only he can change the world view of your heart. Only he can change the attitude of your heart. Only he can change the identity of your heart. And my friend, if you don't allow your heart to change, the identity, the values here, uh, if you don't allow here these inner parts of your being, your motives to change, you can try to change your surface behavior until you're blue in the face and eventually you are going to come right back to living in alignment with what your heart actually is. And this is why it is so vital that it's not just about behavior. Behavior is a fruit that will blossom from a heart that has been transformed by the grace of God. By a heart whose values have been changed to to seek what is important that God believes to be important. To be motivated by what God's motivated by. To desire what God desires. To see yourself as God sees you and to see others as God sees them. This all leads us to our first thought. If we're going to change the way we change, it begins with abiding in Christ regularly. Abide in Christ regularly. This is the foundation for all change. The foundation of change is not your checklist. The foundation of change is not the newest self-help book. The foundation for change is not the newest you know kind of uh, you know Christian uh, seminar that you can go to these things all have their place but outside the context of daily abiding in the presence of Jesus spending time experiencing him day in and day out experiencing his character afresh and anew experiencing his essence afresh and anew and abiding in him dwelling with him experiencing him without That the change that you so desperately desire will never last. Abide in Christ regularly. John 15, verse 5, says it this way I am the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. That is to say, Those who abide in Christ, those who spend time with Christ, spend time in his word, spend time in prayer, spend time meditating, experiencing a fresh and anew every day, even though you know something to be true about God, have you relished in it lately? Yes, you know God is powerful, but when was the last time you reaffirmed the power of God in your consciousness, a fresh and anew? Yes, you know God is loving, but when was the last time you basked in his compassion and bathed in his love, Oh, it's one thing to be intellectually understanding of the fact that he is those things. It's an entirely different thing to experience it, to dwell in it, to abide in it afresh and anew every day. This is why Christians become over time kind of professional Christians. I already know this about God. Yeah, I know that about God. I know what the Bible says about that God in that area. I know what God can do. And intellectually, academically, they know all these factoids about God. But they don't regularly abide in the reality of it. They don't dwell in the reality of God's love on a daily basis. They don't experience His protection and His security. They don't daily bask in who God is because they're convinced since I know about it, since there was a time I learned about it, I'm good. No, abide in Christ regularly. I like how one person said it. Don't waste time chasing blessings. Just chase God and let His blessings chase you. Abide with Him. Chase God. Spend time with God. Abide with God. Experience God. We have a day and age where we're professional Christians and we'll go to this Bible study and that Bible study and they all have their place to the point that they drive you to an intimate, personal, thriving, dynamic relationship with the God of this universe. If you go to a Bible study just to learn another little detail or just so you can fill your brain with another little idea or just so you can impress a friend because you know more than they do about the Bible you've missed the point it's not simply about memorizing a bunch of little biblical factoids it's about getting to know your abba heavenly father in a personal dynamic way are you abiding in christ regularly you see we used the illustration a couple weeks ago joel over here he has a bunch of vineyards it's kind of a, a raisin farmer of sorts if you've never had some, you've got to get some, all right? Just ask them. Say, Pastor told me I could have some of your graves. <laughs> I know, I'm putting them on the spot. Delicious. They're, they're incredible. But Joel will tell you that the greater that the branch is connected to the vine, That stump that goes into the earth, the bigger that connection is, the more of that life giving sap can flow through the earth into the trunk or the vine and through the branches, and it produces more fruit. You see, in our understanding, we think, no, I gotta work harder to get more fruit. I gotta try harder to get more fruit. I gotta be more disciplined. I gotta get a greater work ethic. I've gotta learn and memorize and read and seminar this. And and there's a place for all those things. But if you are not increasing your connection to the vine, to the trunk, the life-giving sap of his spirit will never be able to flow through. And it only makes logical sense that the greater your connection, the more of that life-giving sap can flow through and the more you can experience God's wonderful, dynamic grace. Abide in Christ regularly. Let's move on to our next thought here today. Once we've spent time abiding in Christ, we're going to begin to learn about Christ. We're going to get to know Him more intimately. We're going to know who He declares Himself to be. We're going to see who we are in light of what He's done for us on the cross of Calvary. Which leads us to our second thought is not only do we need to abide in Christ regularly if we're gonna change the way we change, but secondly, we must affirm our new identity constantly. The world is trying to tell you that you are something, they're trying to say you're an addict, they try to say you're lazy, they try to say you're gossip. They're trying to say you're good for nothing. It might be the world telling you that. It might be your friends and your peers. It might be your relatives preaching to you a false gospel that is no longer true now that you are founding your identity in the imputed righteousness of Christ. You are not who you used to be. You are now who God declares you to be in Christ because of his imputed righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 verse 17 says it this way. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, are you abiding in him? Do you know him today? For if you are in Christ, the Bible says you are, he is a new creature old things are passed away behold all things are become new it doesn't say you will become a new creature it doesn't say one day when you try hard enough you'll change it doesn't say one day when you really are committed then you'll be something new no, based on the authority of that book the Bible declares because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross of Calvary you already are a new creature you are already made new And I know you don't always act like it. But that doesn't change the reality of who you are in Christ. Your emotions may tell you that you're still a sinner. Your emotions may tell you that you're a failure. Your emotions may tell you you're a good for nothing. But I want to say to you today, based on the authority of this book, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary, his blood put on your account, you now have all of his imputed righteousness. You are a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Neil Anderson said it this way. No individual can consistently behave in a way that's inconsistent with the way they perceive themselves to be. And I think that's true. We have some Christians in this room. You've accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You've put your trust in Him and Him alone. And you want to change. Change. You want to kick the habit. You know you shouldn't be a gossip, but you find yourself gossiping. You don't want to be materialistic and greedy, but that's what you functionally do. And you so desire to change, you hate it when your anger gets the best of you. You hate it when your lust gets the best of you. You hate it when your materialism gets you in debt. And you so desperately want to change, but you don't know how. I want to say this. The foundation of that change is abiding in Christ deeply. Making a greater connection between you and the vine. Why? So that you can affirm your new identity constantly. The world will try to tell you you're a failure. Your past will try to tell you you're a mistake. Your emotions will try to tell you that you'll never succeed. And yet, Jesus Christ on the right hand of his Father says, Oh, you are a new creature. And you must believe that voice amidst all the other smaller voices that try to convince you of something differently. Who are you listening to? You can try to change all you want. But if your change is not rooted in who you believe yourself to be, the change will never stick. The change you attempt has to be started by abiding in Christ. Then it goes to reaffirming that new identity. I am not a gossip anymore. Sometimes I gossip, but I'm not a gossip. My new nature doesn't gossip anymore. My new nature is not materialistic anymore. My new nature doesn't lust anymore. My new nature doesn't gossip anymore. My new nature doesn't lie anymore. My new nature doesn't get angry anymore. That's, that's the flesh. And you need to remind yourself day in and day out who you now are in Christ. Who are you? Who are you? The reason many of us wallow in the mire of sin is because we've allowed the enemy to name us. We've allowed our past to name us. We've allowed our failures to name us. We've allowed our emotions to name us rather than allowing God to name us. In Christ. You're a new creature. How how will we change the way we change? Abide in Christ regularly. Affirm your new identity constantly. Number three, appropriate God's grace faithfully. Change doesn't start with you. As you'll see in John chapter number 15, as we read a few moments ago, it does not start with your willpower. It does not start with your self-discipline. It does not start with your feeble, self-righteous efforts. It doesn't start with what you can conjure up in the flesh. If you're going to change, it's all because of his great grace. It's him and him alone that will change us from the inside out. See, you're running around trying to change some surface behavior, something you're addicted to, something you're always compelled by. And so you try to change all these surface things and wonder why the change never goes deep down into your heart. It's because you're trying to change yourself rather than recognizing you can't. Didn't the Apostle Paul say this? The good that I would, I do not. That which I would not, that I do. He went on to say, Oh wretched man that I am. Can I say this? Your strength, I, I should say it this way his strength is made perfect in your weakness. It isn't until you become weak in your own eyes. It isn't until be you become meek in your own eyes. It isn't until you become broken in your own eyes. It isn't until you humble yourself that you will experience the grace of God. The Bible says it this way God resists the proud, but He giveth grace to the humble. You've got to appropriate God's grace faithfully my friends we uh, let's turn to second corinthians first and then we'll go to this second corinthians chapter number nine verse eight the bible says and god is able to make all grace abound towards you notice that word circle it in your bible all all grace in and of ourselves we can do nothing In and of ourselves, there's nothing that we can accomplish. In and of ourselves, there's nothing we can do. It is God's grace and God's grace alone that changes us from the inside out. And it is God's grace that is able to make all grace, circle that, abound toward you. You say, I don't know if I could experience this grace. I don't know if I could experience that grace. I want to say to you, you've already been promised all the grace you need, all the grace you need to overcome your addiction. All the grace you need to overcome that bad habit. All the grace you need to be the husband, to be the wife, to be the mom, to be the dad, to be the church member, to be the coworker, to be the friend. All the grace you need has already been promised to you. You don't have to earn it. It's yours. Notice this. He goes on to say, always, having all sufficiency in all things... May abound to every good work. God's promised you all grace so that you can experience every good work. What area do you need to experience some good work in? God says, I've already promised you all the fuel you need in my grace to accomplish it. Appropriate God's grace faithfully. Let me throw this on the screens. We begin to experience God's grace. When we acknowledge our insufficiency and accept His all sufficiency. Until we humble ourselves and recognize there's nothing we can do on our own, that we get to the place where we can experience what God. Wants for us to experience. Appropriate his grace. Recognize that everything I need for life and godliness is already mine in Christ. So many of you, you have been praying, God, please give me the strength to do this. And God, please give me the strength to do that. And I don't mean to put water on your fire or bust your bubble. But I'm just here to tell you this. You don't have to pray that. God's already promised it to you. He's already promised you the power you need. He's already promised you the strength you need. He's already promised you the grace you need. You simply need to appropriate that by faith. I love the way evangelist John Van Gelderen said it when he was with us a few weeks ago, a few months ago now. He said, some of you, some of us, our prayers are acts of disobedience. They're stalling techniques. For God has already promised And extended and given to us the very things we're praying for. And so it is an act of doubt to ask God for what he has already declared to be yours. I mean, we understand this in the physical realm. If I were to stand and say, here, Travis, here's a hundred bucks. And you get, Pastor, I really need a hundred bucks. I'm like, here. No, you don't understand. I really need a hundred bucks. I'm like, here, I really need, after a while, his begging for that $100 when I have it extended to him would get a little annoying. I'm like, dude, here, just take it. And some of us do the same thing with God. I had about two weeks ago, God convicted my heart of this. I was praying for something and it was like God slapped me backside the forehead and said, you know what, Stop praying. And just experience by faith what I've already told you is yours. Prayer can be functional atheism if we use it as a stalling technique for not acting with faith and believing in something He's already given us. I'm not saying don't pray. We'll go through a whole series and we'll talk about the role of prayer. It's a wonderful thing. It's a good thing. But if you are praying for something that God's word has already given to you and promised to you and entrusted to you through the imputed righteousness of Christ, stop praying, get up off your knees and appropriate by faith what has already been given to you. It's yours. Now live like it. appropriate God's grace faithfully. How do we do this? We acknowledge our insufficiency. God, I can't. Every time I try, I fail miserably or I succeed even more miserably. I succeed with arrogance and I succeed with pride and I succeed with a critical and judgmental spirit. So we either fail miserably or we succeed even more miserably. God, I can't. And every day waking up and saying, God, what you're calling me today to do today, I can't. I can't. I'm insufficient. But God, I believe by faith that you're all sufficient. And so I'm claiming your grace by faith. Appropriate God's grace, which leads us lastly. We got to change the way we change. What does the Bible teach about sanctification and being conformed to the image of Christ? It starts, the foundation is abiding in Christ regularly. Why? So I can affirm my new identity constantly. Constantly preaching the gospel to yourself. Constantly praying the new identity to yourself. Constantly meditating on who God has said you are in Him. Affirm your new identity so that you can appropriate God's grace, appropriate His promises, acknowledge that you are insufficient, acknowledge that He is all-sufficient, so you can act by faith. As you, therefore, have received Christ, so walk ye in Him. We, we used the illustration a couple weeks ago. It's like two legs. We walk, most of us walk with two legs. If we're healthy, if we're functioning, functioning as God created us to function, we walk with two legs. And the two legs are the step, the foot of grace, acknowledging his grace, acknowledging his promise, acknowledging that God has already given me in Christ everything I need and so I acknowledge his grace and then with this foot, I simply act by faith. By faith, I act believing that what God declared is true. I act, then what do I do? I acknowledge his grace for the next step. Why? Oh, I acknowledge God. I can't, but you can through me. Christ in me. You've given me everything I need for life and godliness. I believe that. And now I'm going to act by faith. And it just becomes this acknowledging by grace, acting by faith, acknowledging by grace, acting by faith, acknowledging, acting, acknowledging, acting. As ye therefore receive Christ the Lord. How do we receive him? By grace through faith. So walk in him. It doesn't say walk for him. It says walk in him. Hebrews 11 verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him. It's impossible. You see there are some people who are running around and they're acting. They're dotting their I's. They're crossing their T's. They're walking the walk and talking the talk. They live among us and they're just soup. Superb little Christians. But it's not a faith. It's just actions. Some of us who grew up in the church are most guilty of this, so I'm very susceptible to this. I've been going to church since nine months before I was born. I I was like a trained little Christian monkey by the time I was four years old. Some of us know how to do this without Christ's power. Some of you have been saved for such a long time. Your habits, you you can do it without faith. You've reprogrammed your mind. That's a wonderful thing. But at the moment where you stop appropriating God's grace and acting by faith, dependence upon him, getting up today to preach this sermon. Lord, I've been preaching sermons now. Man, my first time preaching. I'm, 18 years now I've been preaching. And yet this morning having to get on my face before God and saying, God, I've, I've preached in 30 or 40 different states around America. I've preached thousands of sermons, but God, I'm going to get up today and I want to declare before you in my own flesh, on my own, I'll either fail miserably or I will succeed more miserably. God, I desperately need you to do what I cannot do on my own. By faith, God, I claim that you can do through me what I cannot do. And acting by faith repeatedly. I don't know if this will make sense, but I'm going to throw this on the screens. Faith without works is passivity. There are people in the Christian life, I have faith, I believe God does what he needs to do. And a lot of Christians fall in this category. I'm just gonna trust the Lord and God's gonna do what God's gonna do. He's sovereign, he's in control, God's got everything. And, and God, faith without works though can lead to passivity. And all of a sudden we got these Christians who's or, I just I'm just waiting on the Lord, but the, nothing. But on the other hand, works without faith is self-righteous and so in the church we can tend to have a lot of people who are just being very passive and apathetic but kind of project a lot of you well know, God's sovereign and God's in control and God's got power and God's going to do what God's going to do and there, this is like this pessimistic apathetic kind of passivity works without faith this happens a lot in churches too People have been serving in the nurseries, been serving as an usher, been serving as a teacher, been serving, they've been doing it so long, they just, it's like they could, they could do it in their sleep. They're working, technically, on the surface, everything's right, but there is no heart dependence on God. Deep down, they're kind of like, I got it. And that is self-righteous. So let me say this, it's not works or faith, but rather works by faith. The Gospel of James speaks of this very, very much. It's not works or faith, but rather works by faith. Uh, Let me say this. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Grace is not in conflict. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. (laughs) You don't earn grace. But grace is not opposed, effort. Let me give you this, kind of close this up a little bit. You say, why have you been giving us this series? What's this thing been all about? Well, to some degree, imagine there's a Christian. And I'm just, as a preacher, let me just kind of be transparent a little bit. For years, I feel like Christians kind of, they come to church and it's like, all right, they're coming and they're not doing so well, so they come to church because they need the preacher to kind of, you know, push them up against a little bit and kind of pop them up. And then throughout the week, they kind of float down a little bit. Oh man, I got to get a church again. And then they, they wait for the, you know, the preacher to kind of, you know, I, I didn't think this illustration out very well. And then come Thursday, Friday, they're floating back down. And so week after week, I, you know, or maybe you'll read some book and that book will inspire you. And ah, you're good again. Woo! And a few days go by and you're kind of, ah. So then one day you'll go to a seminar, a revival. Woo! Yeah! Oh! Sunday, you hear a great message, something, God's words, woo And then by Thursday, Friday, ah! Throwing you up. And and as a preacher, I kind of feel this tension. And and me and you have this weird relationship because we have this relationship where I feel like I'm always kind of beating on you. And it it creates a weird dynamic between us. Because like your role is to all right get as high as i can and then pastor you gotta you gotta give me one good you know or i want to read something i gotta and some of you and sometimes me week after week month after month for some of you year after year this has been the rhythm of your life revival oh it's been too long Conference! Woo! Oh! I need another one. Great! Sermon! Woo! And then some week you come to church, Pastor, you didn't do me very well. <laughs> you let me down. Or in my wife's case, honey, you let me down. And That's, that's your Christian life. You say, what has this series been about? I'm a firm believer that what we call performance-based Christianity, call it treadmill Christianity, behavioral modification, I don't care what term you label it, that is what it leaves your Christian life doing. It's up and down, up and down, and then eventually you're gonna have to leave the church because like you can only get taken, getting beaten by me so many times before you're just like, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. I'm all for you. I'm all for this place. But it's just getting, yeah. You know, it wears. It does. Let's just be honest. I don't like doing it and you don't like being a punching bag. You see what the series is, is trying to say, you know what? It's time to be done with behavioral modification. Treadmill Christianity, it's no longer about the ladder, it's now about the cross. See, here's what I'm trying to do. You see, the gospel changes what's inside of you. The gospel doesn't just motivate you for a couple days. The gospel changes what gets put inside It's not just about me coming along and giving you another good one this week. It's God's grace changing what is now inside. Something's different now. You used to be motivated by guilt and fear. And now you're motivated by the glory of God. You used to value your image, and so that motivation kept you flying for a minute, but at the end of the day, it, it couldn't keep you soaring, because you're not motivated by what God is motivated by, and you're not, you don't value what God values, and you don't have the identity that God has, and you don't see yourself like God sees you. You see You need to be changed from the inside out. You thought the gospel was just for that moment of justification. And you have forgotten that the gospel is not just for that moment of salvation. It is for every step and every moment of your Christian experience. And it is that gospel that changes what's on the inside. It changes the values. It changes the motives. It changes the the identity. It changes who you are. And all of a sudden, you don't need me the same way you needed me before. You got something better. You've got Jesus. You've got him. I hope you can get this, but The product of the gospel, if you want a little outline. What is the product of the gospel? It's grace. The person of the gospel, Jesus, offers you free, willing grace. It's the product of the gospel. Jesus is the person of the gospel, grace his free will grace giving you everything you need for life and for godliness not just a quick fix but to soar eternally is his grace it is the product of the gospel which leads us to the process of the gospel what is that how do do i process the gospel by faith person of the gospel jesus the product of the gospel his grace free will i couldn't earn it he gave it to me and i don't know why process, how do I process it? How do I appropriate it? By faith which leads us to the purpose of the gospel for his glory that my friend is the essence of the gospel Yes, you needed that for salvation. It was imperative to salvation. But many of us have forgotten it in our daily sanctification and spiritual maturity. You need Jesus, His grace, appropriated by faith, living for His glory each and every single day. It's not about you. It's not about your fame. It's not about what you can get out of it. If you're going to see your life permanently change, then it has to stop becoming about you and it has to become all about him. It's no longer about your preferences anymore. It's no longer about what you like and don't like. It's no longer about what you would prefer or not prefer. It's all about Jesus. He is high and lifted up, and one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus, that name Jesus, is Lord. So desperately for this church, I want this to be you. And it isn't the common experience here. Because you want a quick fix. You think if I just change my behavior, get a little higher. And I don't know how to bust your bubble. But it ain't going to work. It never has and it never will You've got to let the gospel change you from the inside out. And here's the the clincher. You can't change your heart. You can't change your values, your motives, your identity, your worldviews. Only he can. But if you'll yield, you'll let him. I promise you this. Your Christian life might never again be the same. You are trying, trying, trying. You are a tr- you're like treadmill Christianity and it's wearing you out. Only Jesus can perfectly live the Christian life. So let him live it through you. You say how? <laughs> how does how does one do it? Let's close it up. Abide in Christ regularly. Affirm your new identity constantly. Appropriate His grace faithfully. And act by faith repeatedly. Here's the takeaway you say, Pastor, I hate to to tell you this, but I haven't been listening for the last two months. But you woke me up when the balloon popped, (laughs) and I'm zoned in. so give me something, if if I could take all six weeks and put it in just to a couple words. I'm going to say this. You want to change the way you change? You did get nothing else over the last six weeks. Write this phrase down. Change happens, transformation happens by grace, through faith, for His glory. To some of you, that doesn't mean a whole lot right now. But when you start studying in his word what grace actually is. And you start getting a firm understanding of how faith engages that grace and activates that grace. Not for your fame, not for your glory, but for his ultimate fame, his name, and his glory. You are going to find that your heart is radically transformed from the inside out. And what you have been trying to change for months, years, and decades, his grace can do for you what you could never do on your own. Why? Because we've got to change the way we attempt to change. Shall we?